Welcome to Top of Mind with Concilio Wealth, a show about markets, investing, and financial planning. Join us as we cover current events that are in the news and answer top of mind questions from our listeners. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. This audio may contain statements that may be deemed as forward-looking. Any such statements are not guarantees of future performance and actual results may differ from those projected. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, tax, or other professional services. Welcome everyone to episode 43 of Top of Mind with Concilio Wealth. How and I are back today to discuss some fun stuff in the news. Today is... February 27th, it's 11.16 in the morning Pacific, it's Tuesday, there's some ice on the ground here in Seattle, and uh, I think it snowed actually like exactly a year ago. My phone reminded me of that this morning. Anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about, that's not here in the news. Um, first thing we're going to talk about today, Lyft earnings typo, did everybody see that? Lyft made an earnings made a typo in their earnings, which caused their stock to spike and then fall. I uh, can't believe that happened, but it happened. So we wanted to unpack that a little bit. NVIDIA earnings and AI. England and Japan fall into a technical recession. Did you know that 22% of market returns over the last 100 years came from five stocks? There's an interesting paper that we found that we wanted to unpack there. And finally, retail investors are incredibly bullish right now. If you think about a zero to 120 miles an hour, it's like 119 miles an hour. Retailers and investors are incredibly bullish. How? welcome back to the pod. Great to see you. It's been a hey, while. Chris. Likewise, yeah. Great seeing you. So let's start with Lyft. I can't even believe this. I was out last week on vacation, and I, I totally missed <laughs> this. <laughs> so yeah. tell us what happened. Yeah, it's funny because I don't think me or you were personally involved, but um, it it's pretty bad. Uh, Lyft had earnings and uh, just walk you through a timeline of what earnings looks like, right? So the company releases like a paper report mm. and then maybe five minutes later, they'll get on an er- what's called an earnings call with all the analysts. The paper report in this day and age is really important because all these algorithm traders have, you know, scannable programs that look through earnings for you and say, hey, this is a really great earnings. We need to buy. Mm. And keep in mind, Lyft reported at one o'clock Pacific, which you know the market closes at one o'clock Pacific, and now we're in after hours trading. So Lyft's volume during that day, twelve million shares exchanged hands during market hours. After market, forty-seven million shares traded hands. Whoa! So the power of algorithmic trading, the power of being able to scan a like an earnings report. I don't know if you looked at earnings reports, like hundred pages. They're long. long. Right? Yeah. 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 There's no way you could get it through five minutes before, you know, the, the CFO speaks, the CEO speaks. So what happened was the, the report was released with a pretty small typo, small on paper, big ramifications. Right. And then five minutes later, they got on the call and said, first thing they said was there's a typo in the, earnings report. We published a 5% growth in our uh, operating margins or gross margins. And it was supposed to be 0.05% growth. So five full percent versus 0.05%. They said it was a decimal error. It's, it's quite a big error. 
It was half a percent, right? Yeah, half a percent. Ha- yeah, so five percent versus a half percent. <laughs> yeah, five because they, they did it in basis points, right? Five hundred basis points versus fifty. Yeah, yeah, and basis points for everyone's knowledge is a bit of an inside you know, finance jargon for a decimal, right? Like a five basis points is point oh five percent. Fifty basis points yeah, is yeah, half yeah. a percent. Um, yeah. So they they do use basis points, and I think um, everyone glammed on it because a five percentage point, five hundred basis point uh, mortgage gross margin increase, just suddenly made Lyft more valuable, rightfully so. Yeah. Right, <laughs> one of the most valuable companies suddenly in the ride sharing side. So when you get that, all these algorithms, you know, alerted their traders to buy. And you're buying aftermarket, even though the volume increase, the aftermarket liquidity isn't as strong as during the market, right? There's a reason why mm-hmm. the market isn't open 24 hours a day because, you know, if me and you were trading at 3 a.m., one of us is getting hosed because, yep. you know, there's no real market there. So, even though there's an increased volume, I think the the algorithms glammed onto that 500 basis points versus, you know. 50 basis points difference, right? You're talking a four and a half point difference in profitability. It built a bit up Lyft's stock 60%. And by the time, <laughs> yeah, and this is all happening right when the call starts. So that by the time the, the CFO, the, the chief financial officer of Lyft speaks and says, we flubbed, we misreported the, the gross margin line the stock went from 60% up to about 12% up. So still so this all happened good. in five minutes? This all happened within minutes, yeah. Wow. And then by the, by the next day, Lyft was up about 30%. But still, if you bought Lyft at 60% higher, which is roughly $19 a share at its peak, you're holding, what, Lyft stock that's worth $15 a share. If you invested enough on it, you know, 47 million trades is... Someone, someone invested a lot, and someone lost a lot from that swing by a reporting error. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just crazy. That's insane, right? There's a quote here that says, uh, it's a black eye moment that I haven't seen in almost 25 years in the street to make an error like this. That's wild. I yeah. mean, we have not heard the last of this, because you can just imagine... So executives will typically enroll in predetermined sale plans. They're called 10B51 plans. And that can be a sell at this date, sell at this price, sell this many shares at this price. And so you can imagine that these insiders had higher price targets on their shares. And that I'm sure those executed then at those higher price targets in those yep. minutes of trading. I'm sure that's going to get clawed back and should be. <laughs> yeah, because the stock spiked based on an error. I mean, insider trading, the lawsuits are going to be silly with this. Yeah, and it went on the wrong side of the trade, right? Anyone who could trade on yep. an instantaneous, you know, earnings report probably has some horsepower behind them in terms of capital. So they probably That's have fair. a team of lawyers that are chopping at the bit to claw some claw some of these losses back from Lyft. Jeez. That's wild. Imagine if you were the one that bought and then sold 60% up and went home for the day. <laughs> and then it came crashing yeah. down. and Because that trade's going to get clawed back too. You can just have yeah. profits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and that's that's the folly in aftermarkets trading. Um, it the wild wild west kind of opens up again for the stock market. So if you're yeah. going to do that, I would use limit orders or just avoid aftermarket trading, especially on earnings, because we gave you an example of you're swimming in sh with sharks. If you think you could be in an algorithm that can trade within seconds and scan a hundred page earnings document within seconds and trade on that, there's no way you have that computing po computing yeah. power as a single trader. You're 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 already lost, and I would I would not recommend anyone jump in the after hours market on earnings day because you, you are swimming with sharks you're gonna definitely. lose yeah definitely wow well <clears throat> we have not heard the last of that we'll see when that comes back no. up yeah the problem her next up is it's like hey class action yeah, lawsuit hey and lift. class action yeah. lawsuit <laughs> exactly <laughs> Jeez. so if you lost All i'm right. sorry but don't don't jump into the after hours trading like that that's crazy yeah. <clears throat> All right, let's cover NVIDIA earnings and AI. NVIDIA had a great earnings report. So great. What, what happened here? You know, it's for real this time. I think uh, you know, NVIDIA, like every other 500, <laughs> Fortune 500 company, should be looking at the numbers that they're putting out there. Um, and I think uh, NVIDIA is in a string of quarterly beats, meaning they have really heightened expectations and they're somehow meeting them. Right, mm -hmm. so they have a backlog of orders still, uh, specifically for GPUs or graphic process processing units for AI. Um, that that backlog has been about a year. That backlog is still cut down to about four months. So they have a a demand problem where they have too much demand, and they have are improving their supply problem where they're meeting that demand where they're cutting down lead times from one year to four months. So. I think uh, NVIDIA is still very much a high-demand product and because everyone wants to start building up their infrastructure for AI. Is that, um, so the, you mentioned that they're able to deliver their chips faster now. Is that because their backlog is shortening or is that because that they're able to process them faster? Maybe they've expanded more. I know they partner with TSMC to build these things. So like what... What caused that shortening of delivery? Uh, I think you bring up a great point. I, I think that from what I could tell from the um, articles that we do have, it looks like the demand is ebbing a little bit. Mm. So, you know, you buy a graphics unit for AI, you don't need to buy a new one in two weeks. It's not a consumable, right? That's not right. that fast. Right. And... I think what we could be seeing is, you know, a bit of a slowdown because anyone who wants AI capabilities has probably already gotten AI capabilities in terms of storage, cloud computing, uh, GPUs, things of that nature. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, if they're if Nvidia is accepting more orders than they can ship out, they're booking more revenue than they're booking costs too. Exactly. Now, I don't know how they do their terms do, but I don't know how the accounting works in there. Sure. But, you know, let's say for every two that I sell, I can only ship one. You know, I'm booking double the revenue. So in theory, as as their supply chain catches up and they're just shipping new orders versus new orders and backlogs, they should have not necessarily a decline in revenue, but a decline in speed of growth of revenue. 
Correct. Because they can, yeah. So that'll Correct. be interesting as, you know, I don't know where that is, if that's happening, you know, in a month or this year or next year or whatever, but that'll happen at some point. Yeah. And I think the stock's shareholders have been rewarded for all that demand. The stock's up <clears throat> over 240% yeah. in the last year or so. I think, I think there is a, at this point, it's still an insatiable appetite, but I think NVIDIA, no matter who mm -hmm. wins the AI battle, NVIDIA is providing the picks and shovels, right? Like, you know, remember the gold rush? The people who made the most money were the tool manufacturers, not the gold diggers. Mm. And mm. I think this is what we're looking at with NVIDIA being such a poster child for AI is the chips are sold. They made all the money off of it, no matter who wins the AI battle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting. So uh, what I would be watching out for is we are seeing an uptick in the number of companies during the earnings reports mentioning AI. Uh, in the last quarter, 36% of the S&P 500 companies mentioned AI, up from 31% of the previous quarter. Um, so we're seeing, similar to the crypto craze, everyone is trying to, you know, shoehorn in AI into their business. Mm. Uh, I remember, remember we, we talked about Kroger, like, oh yeah, mm -hmm. we use AI for our supply uh, grocery chain. It was like, well, everyone has and everyone does. Uh, Amazon has been using some form of AI for their distribution and their shopping suggestions. But every, you're seeing that being pushed forward to try to gin up the stock price. Mm, interesting. Yeah, it says so. 80% of the company's index uh, is pointing to AI. So there's a big, big increase in companies that are talking about this. And I think, uh, you know, my a red flag. Remember that, that Long Island iced tea company? They mm -hmm. changed their name to Long Blockchain Corp. And the stock was mm -hmm. up 200%. So when you start seeing stuff like that, you probably should... Um, look at your holdings and see who's really just trying to get a short-term pop on their stock. Well, and I think what we're going to see this year, there's there's this AI craze, right? And, and many stocks have been bid up because of the, the unknown yeah. of what the potential is. Um, I think what we're going to see this year is, is kind of the reckoning of what it actually costs and what is the market appetite for it. The, the various tools that I've looked at, they really range in cost from a couple of dollars to kind of expensive, you know, 150 bucks a month, for example, for some of the things we're looking at at the business level. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, these things can can be on the expensive side and then also on the really cheap side. I think as, as AI started in a lot of these tools for, you know, consumers, they're free, right? ChatGPT is free, log in. And I recognize that there's a, you know, you can pay more money to get a faster, you know, faster and more updated system. Uh, my biggest question is, the cost in building all this out has to be just insane. And Correct. where is the market for applications at the at the price point? Like this isn't just to be going to become a service that's wrapped into your office subscription. Office, for example, is adding a thirty dollar a month um, extra AI uh, sure. charge for businesses to implement their copilot. My question is: Is that enough? Like, is there demand at thirty bucks a month? Does 30 bucks a month cover their cost? I mean, I suppose their models would suggest, well, at scale, everything covers their cost, but does it? I mean, it, 
Remember how many years it took Amazon to turn a profit? Like yeah. forever. And so I, I think this year will kind of start to be the reckoning of both, are you, you being company, are you getting consumers to buy your product? And then B, what is it costing you to deliver that product? We just know that like the compute power to, to produce something on your screen on chat GPT is incredibly expensive. And, and, and again, I think 2024 will be the year where we truly start to see winners and losers in, in that space. Um, and, and, and finally kind of reveal who's actually making money at this and what the true cost of building out all these systems is. And I, that, I think what you're describing is top line is like how much people are willing to pay for AI applications. But think mm-hmm. about the Walmarts and the Kroger's, uh, how much more can they mm-hmm. squeeze out in terms of efficiency by using AI? So, so that's a bottom line address, mm-hmm. right? Because you're looking at reducing costs. Um, I don't know how much a grocery store can you know, meaningfully improve their margins. Let's say it's one or 2%. Yes, as we saw with Lyft, a full percent is game changing. But mm-hmm. is the, the upfront investment really going to pay off for these guys? I don't, I don't know. At least from what I'm seeing now. Um, I, we do have a post on the Concilio site about this. It's like, what if AI is a dud? And I think Chris and I are looking at it from a cost-benefit standpoint, right? Like, is it going to play out the way people think it is? I don't know. Expectations are really high, and the only beneficiaries are the ones providing the the tools. So far, yeah. yeah so far, yeah. well, yeah. I was going to say Microsoft, but but yeah, they're providing the tools in that sense. Exactly. I think you bring up a good point too, because there's a lot of efficiency gains that can be measured um and i think that that'll that'll start to reveal itself as well and so you know to be clear we're not bearish on ai it's um really more of a there there's been a lot of run up in the markets for ai stocks our point of view is there's going to be some winners there's going to be some losers and those losers potentially spent a ton of money on something that yeah. isn't yielding the result that was hoped um you know kind of like coming back to the metaverse conversation right when meta was spending a ton of money on the metaverse and showing no revenue. And like, if you're spending billions and you're making millions, that's gonna catch up to your stock price pretty fast. Um, and then I think you're gonna see dramatic changes in investment and pivots. Um, it's like, you know, where's Apple in all of this, right? Like Apple hasn't announced anything regarding AI. Yep. Siri isn't that great, uh, right? <laughs> Siri hasn't really been, yep, okay, it's talking to me now. Yeah, probably one of the most me. obvious, yeah, probably one of the most obvious applications for AI is their current product Siri. I don't, I don't get why they aren't pumping that up more, but Apple's been known to sandbag until they're yeah. ready. So, yeah. And I mean, what are they going to come out with? Right? Like they build their own chips, right? So, but they're not going to sell those chips. You know, they could come up with an AI enabled chip in their iPhone and, and they could, you know, pivot, pivot that way. And that could cause this stock to jump. But you know, and, and they're building out their services wing, right? But I don't, I don't foresee Apple having a, you know, a Bard or a ChatGPT type thing. Like it's just not there. They're just an incredibly focused company. Um, so anyway, I, I'm curious on where they're at with all that, and and you know, hopefully they reveal something soon that would tell us all. Because um, to date, really haven't seen anything from from them. Everybody else has. Yeah has said a bunch. And as a result, their stock price has gotten left behind, right? The Magnificent Seven suddenly looking... Has caught up. Yeah. It used to be 
Apple worth way more than everybody else and then everybody else also yeah. worth a lot of money. Now it's like you've got these other companies that are bumping up against Apple and in some cases with Microsoft went above Apple Exceeding. for a short yeah. period of time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So this will be interesting to watch this year. I think uh, I think we'll definitely see clear winners and losers, maybe even a announcement from Apple, uh, which I think would be interesting. All right, let's move over to England and Japan fall into a paper recession. Interesting. This wasn't widely covered. So uh, cover this. Remind us all what is a technical definition of a recession and then what's going on over there in England and Japan. Yeah, all, all it means is a recession. Um, GDP is negative for two quarters in a row. So six months in a row of negative GDP growth. Okay. Um, we actually hit that in 22. And people seem to forget yeah. that because 22 was a pretty bad year and uh that officially wasn't a recession but it was a paper recession i think chris and i talked about it and nauseam when it did happen mm -hmm. um uh, this this group of economists need to stamp it so they haven't come out and said officially japan or england is in a recession because both stock markets are doing relatively well they're they're actually positive on the air despite this news um so that's first and foremost the only definition of a paper recession is negative growth for two consecutive quarters. Um, England's issue is they're they're running into some trade issues, right? They they had Brexit and they're still dealing with some of the subsidies that they I don't know suddenly forgot about when they wanted to exit the European Union, hmm. and they have to re renegotiate some of those trade deals in terms of their import export, right? Um, Again, not to bore you, but a lot of people left the finance industry in England yeah. and went over to Belgium, right? And because in finance, you want the least amount of friction possible. Uh, Japan's case, they are seeing a big uptick in tourism, like people coming in from other countries because the yen is so weak. Mm. And on the flip side is they, despite all that, they have lower domestic spending, meaning the Japanese citizens are unwilling to spend. And I think even despite the uptick in tourism, they're seeing uh, the natural population not really spending the way they should. Do they should. still have negative interest rates in Japan? They do, yeah. They they mm. are looking to swing those positive this year, but with the news of shrinking GDP, they're mo more likely going to keep the negative rate policy in, in effect for a while. So for context there, so if, if you have negative interest rates, you have no incentive to leave any money in the bank. Correct. You're losing uh, money. Yeah. 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 So like in, in our world, right, we can make 5% on a high yield savings account or 4% or whatever these days, right? You have incentive to leave money in the bank and spend less. Uh, Japan has the opposite problem and they've had that for many, many years. Decades. Yeah. Decades. That's, yeah. that's what's sort of stimulated their economy. So it's interesting that, that you're saying even with that, people aren't spending wonder if money's in the bank or they're just not making it or what's you know that's that's interesting but anyway no spending interesting no spending um despite that japan's economy is in line with s&p performance so the s&p's done well you know people in, blink in what and, time frame this year in the last year uh, japan's up 20 26 percent wow which is pretty wild to think about because you always thought of japan as this shrinking population and shrinking yeah. economy right and um They've been keeping pace with the U.S. since 2023. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, so likely Japan keeps their their current policies to try to jump out of recession, and then 
Um, what about England, though? I mean, what do you? <laughs> what's England's path out of this recession? I mean, this recession has been predicted forever, right? Did they hit a recession <laughs> when the U.S. did? Uh, not officially. Not yeah, officially. So, okay, so this is the first so, one. I think that's the case for making, uh, you know, making the case for a globally diversified portfolio. Because one, you don't know when and if the U.S. is going to enter recession, but there's other countries that have booming manufacturing industries, things like that. England, a um, little bit more mixed because I think there's more. They're more politically driven. I don't think the European mm-hmm. Union has a lot of interest in helping them out and subsidizing more than they need to because they're not part of the EU anymore. So. England decided to go out alone. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they overestimated the amount of finance jobs they would keep. Like these are high-paying jobs, right? At Barclays banks, uh, uh, big banks moved employees out of the country because it's just easier to operate in EU proper versus England. Um, so they're they're yeah. running into a real estate issue. They're running into a trade and farming issue. Um, you know, farmers are having problems getting what they think is fair market value for their crops. But, mm. you know, no one outside of England is willing to pay what they used to pay because all mm. they did was shift their purchases to other parts of the union. Mm-hmm. So, wow. Do you think yeah, they're going to un-Brexit? Are they going to, like, Brexit, fix it, <laughs> rejoin it? Like, I, I mean, this is a big deal. Yeah, and I think um, if you're looking at polling in England, I they, they would say let's – not Brexit. I don't think they're willing it's to. Un- yeah, yeah. I don't think they're un- willing to unwind the damage that's been done what the last four years. But uh, meaning they would want to stay independent of European Union hmm. uh, because I think the damage has been done. Uh, but the polling does say we, if we had a choice, would we have stayed or left? They would have overwhelmingly like seventy percent said stay. <laughs> but that's that's a problem with thinking. It's. Um, you don't get yesterday's price, right? You can tell every yeah. Englander that, well, you voted that way, so that's your problem to deal with going forward because you you had such a pretty good trade situation with the European Union, and you just flushed it down the toilet. Hmm. Interesting. I think that's going to be many years in the making. Decades probably, yeah. Decades yeah. probably, yeah, because you're right. You don't just exit and then rejoin, right? It's going to be a long time because... First of all, you can't just exit and then immediately become self-sufficient. It takes many, many years. I mean, think about what the U.S. is trying to do with building their own chip factories and things like that. Takes that takes decades to build out and 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 spin up. And so, hopefully, they have a long-term plan there and they're executing on it. But you know, if they don't, maybe it's twenty or thirty years down the road and then they actually rejoin. That's interesting. Yeah. Good luck to them. But again, they shot themselves in the foot there. <clears throat> As we say all the time when we're looking at uh, market returns, very easy to look in the rearview mirror yeah. and describe what happened. Very hard or, to look yeah. out the windshield and predict what's going yeah. to happen. So, <laughs> or always, it's always easier to think the grass is greener on the other side, mm-hmm. and you you find out that the grass is just painted grass and it's not real grass. It's <laughs> turf. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But yeah, good luck to them. Not our, again. We we invest globally, so um, hopefully they can turn around. It's just not very likely. So our next thing here, uh, I think our listeners listeners will find this is interesting. So did you know that 22% of market returns over the last 100 years has come from five stocks? It's an interesting paper here that 
we came across from Hendrik Bessenbinder, and he is a professor uh, down at Arizona State University in Tempe. Um, this t paper is titled Wealth Creation in the U.S. Public Stock Markets from 1926 to 2019. And the report quantifies long-run stock market outcomes in terms of the increases or decreases relative to a T-bill benchmark in shareholder wealth. So the U.S. stock market investments uh, on net increased about $50 trillion between 1926 and, 19, 1926 and 2019. The largest share of that was everybody's favorite, tech firms. So technology firms accounted for the largest share at $9 trillion, but... But, keep listening, but telecommunications, energy, and healthcare and pharmaceutical stocks created wealth disproportionate to the numbers of firms in the industry. So there was a lot of tech firms that created a lot of wealth, but from the pharmaceutical standpoint, energy, healthcare, fewer firms that created even more wealth per firm, if that makes sense. Um, so the degree to which stock market wealth creation is concentrated in a few top performing firms has increased over time and was particularly strong versus the uh, particularly strong during the most recent three years when five firms accounted for 22% of net wealth creation. I'm going to stop there. How I want your thoughts and let's unpack this a little bit further. This is totally a conversation around concentration and diversification. Yeah. And I think, um, Nvidia is really sticks out. Uh, Nvidia is not on this list. Uh, it it is uh, just to spoil it. What just going down well, the list? I think this paper was stopped yeah, in 2019. 2019. So yeah. Nvidia probably would be now. Yeah, they probably would be right. But uh, this goes to the top five: Apple, Microsoft, Exxon Mobil, Amazon, and Alphabet. So four of the top five are technology-based companies. Um, so how I would think about it is the, the economy, the pie has definitely grown. Mm -hmm. So in terms of absolute dollars, those, those recent winners make sense. Uh, what's going to be in the next 20 years, right? What are the big wealth creators? I think the economy is obviously going to expand in 20 years. So what are the winners or the, the, wealth, the biggest wealth creators of the next 20 years going to be? might not be tech for all we mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. um, might be a car company. Um, that creates flying cars and everyone wants the flying car. Uh, that's Those are things that uh, with the expanding economy and how this report was measured was in absolute dollars where you suddenly got trillion-dollar companies. Imagine mm -hmm. that in 1930. Right. Right? Um, Two, three-trillion-dollar so, companies. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so, one, the, the size of the pie generally has grown. And two, I think uh, you don't you don't bet against the U.S. economy over long stretches like that. And three, uh, uh, another part part of this report was about forty percent of the companies in this in the stock market over a hundred years. No, sorry, sixty percent of the companies in the stock market have actually lost money for investors. Mm -hmm. So you you went boom or bust more likely bust and you still made money as an investor it's it's interesting here because this says this is um totally a case um 
you know, the, of the relative merits between broad diversification versus narrow portfolio selection. However, as you point out, the majority, and I'm reading from this article, the majority of individual stock investments led to decreased rather than increased wealth in the long run. Aggregate shareholder wealth creation is concentrated in a relatively few high performing stocks. So it's really the double double, right? You, you had to pick the right ones and then hold them a long time to to get the big wins, which again, rear view mirror, of course it was that one, of course it was that one. <laughs> but yeah. many of these on this list, um, you know, wouldn't have been so obvious at the time. I think the point of this is if you were broadly diversified, if you bought, say, the index, you owned the small company when it was small, that then became the big company. You know, you owned NVIDIA when it was tiny. You owned Amazon when it was tiny. You owned Google when it was tiny. And you and those then, you know, catapulted to what they are today. Would you have made more if you were concentrated? Yeah. But you would have had to make that pick, you know, so many years ago and and get it right, which is on average very, very hard to do. Yeah, we, we had a you know, a picture sent to us of um you know, a daughter cleaning out her mother's attic, mm-hmm. and there's these old st- stock certificates, but unfortunately, they they were worthless. So um, the company's out of business. Can you name me a company that was in business in the 1980s heyday that's still around? Maybe, a, maybe a handful. Cisco. <laughs> yeah, I don't know when Cisco Cisco was founded. Well, I think uh, 80s, I think Blockbuster, I think Montgomery Ward, uh, Mervyn's, uh, I don't know, I, I don't know, uh, Sears. I mean, how, yes, I was going to say Sears, <laughs> uh, Macy's, they're still around. Macy's, yeah, they're, Macy's uh, they're fighting still for their around. life. They hit the news today, they've got a yeah. new strategy to sell a bunch of stores and revive, Let's yeah. see if they can do it. So I think the odds of, you know, it's always a nice story when you hear about, um, uncovering stock certificates in the attic that have been forgotten and there's something worth millions. Unfortunately, that's yeah, really... Yeah, I'm still looking for those. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta go up in the attic. Especially in the new house. The construction worker just put some uh, defunct company's certificates you in You never the attic. know. Yeah. You never know. But I think, um, I think, one, it's a massive data set. Going back 100 years and measuring company performance um, in absolute terms, uh, to be fair, um, pretty otherworldly, right? Um, but I think what you'll see is the economy has compounded, right? Gotten more and more valuable as years goes on. Mm-hmm. I think you'll see new new names take over. Like mm-hmm. we mentioned with NVIDIA, I see Facebook on the list too. And Facebook's not a very old company mm-hmm. in terms of stock market life. Mm-hmm. Um, is Facebook going to exist in 20 years? I I don't know. Maybe. I I would guess so. Uh, depend, it really all depends, right, on regulation and what the, the market wants. So I think we will continue to see this list evolve because, one, I think we're going to see trillion-dollar companies as a commonality versus uh, rarity, mm-hmm. right? Because for the longest time, it was just Apple. Now we're seeing yep. it Microsoft, NVIDIA, what, Meta, Amazon's uh, over a trillion. Amazon is Google. Google. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Berkshire Hathaway just hit a trillion over the weekend. Um, I think it's getting more and more common because the pie is growing, right? And the last episode we were saying how uncommon it was for for the market not to create new highs in s- such a long time, right? 
this is the only seventh time in history where when the market created a new high, we had to wait more than two years. Mm-hmm. So it's the, the economy is always expanding. Um, so I think if you get new and newer companies that are, you know, pushing new industry, I think you'll see these new winners that have suddenly created wealth. But I, w- I would take that with a big grain of salt because the next winner would seem so obvious only after the fact. I don't I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think what I get from this, so over over 100 years, it's 22%, or it's five stocks that accounted for 22% of wealth creation, and that's most particularly over the last three years, which, of course, we've all lived. Um, but owning the broad basket of stocks gives you the highest ability to own the five that are good. Like, I think yeah. that's the point of the paper, is like, when you're broadly diversified, you have a high chance of winning and owning those five that have done really well. But you need to own those five because if you didn't, um, you know, you missed out on a lot of wealth creation. I, I think that's, to me, kind of the knock on like the equal weight type things. We see that sometimes clients will buy like an equal weight S&P. And the problem with that is that it is equally weighting all of the holdings. So it doesn't actually allow for the, the smaller to holdings win. to become yeah. bigger holdings. Yeah. The S&P is, is a market cap weighted index. So bigger companies get a bigger weight. Um, of course, that can be risky when things come down particularly if it's those bigger companies, but that's the whole point is that diversification across the index and allowing the small to become big and owning them for that whole time. Um, that's the kind of point I get from this, this paper. Obviously what it wants to scratch is like, okay, tell me the formula. How do we pick stocks that can just win, <laughs> to get, you know, get the five. But of course there isn't, there isn't a clearly well-defined, cl- clear, well-defined process to, to, to pick those stocks on a, uh, on a consistent basis and win every time. Yeah, well, the the paper says it. it you, you have more chance of losing money by stock picking sixty percent of the time, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Than making money, and then taking another level is making wealth created money, like the apples and the Microsofts, right? Where you're not only winning, but you're winning to the extent where you're generating real wealth, right? Because I could pick Johnson Johnson, for example. And I've done pretty average. I didn't lose money, but I didn't make NVIDIA type money. And that's what makes stock picking hard. And I, I think that's always puts up your uh, company stock for review, right? Like, how much of my Enron stock did I own? 50%? All right. Enron was the best company in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that is, uh, one, diversify your, your core investments and you have your play money your play money i get it but um you know the paper does cite like there is a need and they think it's rational to try to get those home runs right those win those lottery picks i mean to round this out your next stock behind uh google alphabet is jnj johnson johnson walmart berkshire procter and gamble uh, altria and then good old ge yeah general electric is on this list again this ends in uh 2019 so a couple of years of stale data but still um you know that that created all the way down if you if you had uh down to gm uh maybe we'll even throw chase in there so jp morgan that's the the 20 percent of wealth creation right there uh over the last 100 years interesting yeah at&t is on that list would you want to own at&t as a you know as a bet in the future probably not. <laughs> right but if you owned it as yeah. a tiny and now a big you yeah. did okay exactly you did extremely well Exactly. Yeah.
Okay, let's shift to our last topic as we wrap up today. So retail investors are incredibly bullish right now um, as, as judged by trading and by option market signaling. There's kind of some interesting things. There's like the fear greed index, which I think is built on, on options. So uh, I want you to just unpack this a little bit as we wrap up here. What's going on with bullishness and retail investors? Yeah, I, I guess despite uh, all the data that we do put out, people still think that holding, you know, 40% NVIDIA is great. And yes, I think holding the concentration makes uh, millionaires, right? It's the issue of staying a millionaire. Um, so yeah, Schwab and TD did a sentiment survey and about 53% of the respondents suddenly had a bullish view of the stock market. And that's an issue because the the fear greed index has swung to extreme greed. So we're talking, you know, going 100 miles an hour on the freeway, and the, we're we're above the max limit in terms of valuation. And again, we've argued that fundamental valuation isn't a timing thing. So this can stay expensive for for the foreseeable future. But I think it sure. is, you know, I think by that. Retail investors are kind of living up to the moniker of dumb money. Of mm. it should have been the opposite, right? Everyone should have been greedy when we told them in 2022, and more, more sensible now. But it's it's working in opposite. Is that that fear greed index measures options activity? Is that right? It measures, yeah. It measures where the flows are going. So it measures how much money is mm -hmm. going to uh, stocks versus bonds. How much. Yeah, and the types mm -hmm, of stocks think. and bonds. Yeah, so um, we we do have data from Goldman saying uh, retail flows are coming out of the S and P and the Nasdaq QQQ um, in significant levels since February fifth. So what, twenty two days, and it is going. It looks like it's going into s single names. Mm. and options. So we're seeing an imbalance in options purchasing to the upside. So people are not only greedy, but they, they're levering up. They're and, concentrating more. They're, they're doing the opposite of the paper that we just talked about, right? So they're doing the opposite. They're selling their indexes and they're going further into these single stock names. Um, interesting. Wow. Yeah. It says that the bets on, uh, bets on AI and AI related stocks have increased, um, doesn't say by how much, but it says largely bullish on, on those stocks in the next three months. Interesting. Yeah. And anyone who invested in NVIDIA in the last, you know, three months is probably shoved in our face. Oh, look how great I'm doing in the last three months. Hey, still done well. Yeah. 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 But investing isn't a three month activity. It's a lifetime activity. So is yeah. it sustainable? Uh, that's what I would ask with all the stuff that we brought up today is, is all that performance, um, really in line with reality maybe we most likely yet. not yeah it's a we're still so, looking out the windshield you know rearview mirror we'll know yeah so i think <laughs> what we're seeing though is the, the the purchasing of options to the upside um in, in pretty crowded trade from what i see on the charts um mm. <clears throat> is and single stock picks and again, the, the track record for a 100-year stock market history is not very good, right, in terms of single stocks. So I would, I would be cautious here. And 
you know, bit of Warren Buffett going on where being a little fearful when others are being greedy. Mm-hmm. And again, that I don't think that's us saying sell everything and watch on the sidelines. It's just I would start scaling and start rebalancing probably. Yeah, we're saying stay and get diversified. That's yeah. what we're saying. <laughs> yes. Buy yeah. England stocks, uh, buy European <laughs> stocks, right? Um, yeah, we're, we're not that, saying I, individual thing. Exactly. It's, yeah. Yeah. Keep keeping your portfolio, keep a level head. Yeah. And I probably wouldn't, you know, flash my Robinhood account with my one NVIDIA share that's up 240% and bragging about it. It just doesn't sustain. Man, I wish I had that. <laughs> one stock of NVIDIA. Oh, again, I'm describing a. Again, more of the GameStop retail investor who I I know we've railed against the term dumb money. We think retail investors are really smart, but there are times when they overdo it themselves. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Well we'll see. Uh I don't know how often Schwab does this survey, the trader sentiment survey. Uh one thing I want to add there, so they said fifty three percent of respondents were bullish. That that was a jump from fourth quarter. So they must do this at least quarterly. Jump from thirty two percent in the fourth quarter. So thirty two to fifty three percent quarter over quarter jump. That's and that's after the fact, right? The fourth quarter yeah. was well, but remember the beginning yeah. of the fourth quarter. It was like Halloween was basically where the market bottomed. Yeah. So people were. Yeah. I'm surprised a third of people. I mean, that third was right. You know, that third should have bought. Maybe they did. Yeah. You yep. almost could have bought anything back there, and it did. It did fine. Yeah. Huh. All right, this was fun. That's that's all the time we have today. Thanks everyone for tuning in to episode forty three. We'll catch you again in two weeks. All right. Talk Thanks, soon. Chris.